For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I come with a warning label. May contain controversy, high rates of speech, and occasional sarcasm. And, as with those containers of bleach and so on, do not eat. Which I particularly mention because apparently, and by apparently I mean do not believe, but an article in Forbes did claim it, quote, carbon labels are finally coming to the food and beverage industry, end quote. That finally is a lovely touch, implying that at long last, history has caught up with the woke folks at Forbes. But if you're thinking, I don't need a label to tell me the fizz in my soda is CO2, you're behind the times. Because apparently the deal here is that, quote, it's been over 25 years since food packaging started displaying its nutritional contents. It's since become second nature to check the calorie, sugar, salt, and fat content of food or drinks before buying them. But this isn't enough for consumers anymore. There's rising demand for another type of food label as people become increasingly concerned about climate change and conscious of how they're contributing to it." End quote. Which just goes to show you how detached from reality the climate scare is becoming. Starting with the existing labels being not enough for consumers as if we want more nagging fine print to ignore. And the fact that adding those labels to food about nutrition coincided not with us slimming down and shaping up, but with a runaway obesity epidemic. Besides, who checks that 40 grams of some random product contains 15% of your vitamin C and 4% of your iron, despite being a bag of potato chips? But it gets worse for this story. The, quote, food and beverage industry, end quote, referred to above, turns out to be just salad, which plans to put, quote, the carbon footprint of every item on its online menu by Climate Week on September 21st this year, making it the first restaurant chain in the U.S. to do so, end quote. So, not a huge trend. And then there's the issue of actually calculating the carbon footprint which, if you've read I Pencil by Leonard Reed, you'll know is impossible, and if you haven't, please do read it. Because, as the Forbes piece does admit, quote, the carbon life cycle of a food includes agriculture, such as fertilizers, manures that emit gases, land conversion that releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and livestock digestion, transportation, packaging, and food processing, end quote. And we're supposed to believe that one restaurant will calculate all of that for every ingredient that goes into every meal? No, of course not. Because the only thing more complicated and full of interlocking feedback loops in an economy is, well, a climate. What's more likely is that we're going to get corporate hucksterism. In fact, as Anthony Watts complained 12 years ago, he was offered, quote, certified carbon-free sugar, end quote. So if they're going to put those labels on, maybe they could at least say where the carb in carbohydrates comes from. Now after that, what's left to ridicule? Well, how about the New York Times warning of, quote, America's toxic disasters in waiting, end quote, that are just waiting to come after you? And if you're wondering why these, quote, vast open-air pools of toxic water from hazardous mining byproducts to diluted pig waste, end quote, are suddenly on the move after just sitting there all these years, well, wonder no more. It's climate change. Specifically, quote, heavy rainfall, one of the hallmarks of climate change, has outpaced evaporation, end quote. So, warning label. 
Heavy rainfall has not increased in the southeastern United States, not in the last 40 years, not in the last 140. And besides, surely toxic waste is bad enough that the Times can write a scary story without having Greta Thunberg splashing about in it. And another item in the newsletter says that while an important premise of settled climate science, so-called, is that we should ignore that big hot yellow thing in the sky that supplies 99.99 plus percent of all the thermal energy on Earth, but it now turns out that the Sun plays a major role in the alternation of El Nino and La Nina in the Pacific, and that has a big impact on um, temperature and climate. And you'd think these new findings would excite people. At least you'd think so if you read National Geographic Science Executive Editor Victoria Jaggard gushing that, quote, one of the things I love about particle physics is how much scientists really want to find cracks in some of their most widely accepted theories, end quote. So isn't it a bit strange that one area where scientists and journalists really don't want to find cracks in the cherished theories is climate change? Well, when I say theories, I should perhaps say lack of theories. Because another piece we have involves Willis Eschenbach mischievously laying two charts on top of one another. One of them showing atmospheric CO2 since the year zero, and the other one showing temperature. And then he asks, why doesn't CO2 change for 1900 years? And why does temperature, especially if CO2 drives temperature? And then he throws down the gauntlet. Not one climate scientist knows the answers to those questions, he says. And I say, well, do they? If not, Ronald Stein has an explanation. Because he asks, why is there so little research into past warming, given how important warming is thought to be, and therefore how important it is to understand why it happens? And he answers tersely, quote, if young climate researchers today want to build their careers, their chances of getting government funding for their proposals is directly proportional to how seriously they portray the threat of global warming, end quote. So the last thing they'd ever want to do is mention natural warming at all, let alone raise the question how much recent warming is natural. But to continue that theme of the unanswered questions and strange assumptions, our scientist safe feature looks at the claims of some scientists that in the Phanerozoic Aeon, which is basically the last 540 million years since complex multi-celled life became common, CO2 was the atmospheric control knob driving temperature change. But other scientists have said, no, the two don't correlate at all. And using a large number of new data sets, Professor Jackson Davis of the Environmental Studies Institute at Boulder and the University of California, Santa Cruz, says, quote, proxies for temperature and atmospheric CO2 concentration are generally uncorrelated across the Phanerozoic climate, showing that atmospheric CO2 did not drive the ancient climate, end quote. Scientist says. And adds, quote, Correlation does not imply causality, but the absence of correlation proves conclusively the absence of causality." End quote. So could someone remind me, what exactly is the evidence that CO2 drives temperature? While I'm waiting for that answer, I want to note that from CO2 science, we got yet more evidence of lack of evidence. Specifically, a paper that says the computer models used by the IPCC to predict just one aspect of climate northern hemisphere snow cover, keep saying, well, it should go away because of all that CO2-induced global warming, but it keeps not going away. 
and also from CO2 science, because of this weird kind of rearguard alarmist claim that, yeah, sure, okay, more CO2 makes plants grow better, but the plants get worse, we present a study saying more atmospheric CO2 does make chickpeas grow better, but it doesn't harm seed quality. And we note that this fixation on CO2 harming plants brings us full circle to the growing era of unreality around climate alarmism. For CDN, I'm John Robson, and warning, I contain a pitch for you to support our work. Music